Our sermon text for this morning is the gospel reading for this week. It comes from Matthew chapter 13. We will begin at verse 24, parable of the weeds. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, uh, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then over at verse 36, Jesus explains the parable. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and an enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, guide us through this strange and challenging parable. Lord, use this teaching to enlarge our love for one another, that we might include all those made in the image of God. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. The Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. People have a tendency to draw smaller and smaller circles, excluding more and more other people from our company. We isolate ourselves from one another over all sorts of things. I'll give you one example, kind of a microcosm of society a very short experience of what the history of humanity has really looked like in a lot of ways. For my example, I'll draw from some experiences in youth sports. I remember uh, as my kids came along and, and we did those little league sports and then on into junior high and high school, the first day of practice was always so much fun. We would show up and uh, we would meet the coaches and all the parents would meet one another and, and everybody's friendly. All the parents are introducing one, uh, themselves to one another, and, and for that first day, I began to get the hope that we're going to be a great, big, happy family. We're all going to gather and watch our kids play, and we're going to build deep uh, bonds of friendship with the other adults. It's going to be one big, happy family. That's what I hope on day one of practice. But pretty soon cracks began to appear. Fissures formed between our new would-be family. Uh, 
Why does she think her kid's better than everybody else? You might hear somebody say. Or another, why does he think his kid gets to pitch? Pretty soon, those tiny cracks develop into chasms and people begin drawing smaller circles, isolating themselves from one another on the team. Often by, by the opening day, by the first game of the season, the parents won't even sit together. Some of the parents are up in the bleachers, other parents are in their sports chairs down behind the backstop, and then there are those who carry their chairs all the way out outside left field to watch from outside the fence. Uh, in just a matter of weeks, they have isolated themselves from one another, sometimes for some of the silliest reasons. Uh, maybe that wasn't your experience of youth sports, and please understand that I'm not trying to be critical of youth sports. They, they accomplish a lot of good, but I have certainly seen cases where parents, especially, we tend to isolate ourselves and draw smaller and smaller circles. I say that's a microcosm of humanity because it seems we've been doing that since the very beginning. Humanity has been isolating ourselves for as long as we've walked on the planet, it would seem. You go all the way back to uh, Genesis, to the story of the first parents, and uh, Cain and Abel come along, and, and they can't get along. We don't know all the details about how, why they can't get along, but we know the end result is Cain murders Abel. Unwilling to live in peace with the sibling, he draws that circle smaller and isolates himself in the most violent of ways. You turn a few pages over, you get to Father Abraham, man of tremendous faith, uh, father in a sense for all of us, and yet uh, he and his nephew can't get along. After moving to the Promised Land, Abraham and Lot and their workers have a dispute over land. It seems that there's not enough land for everybody's livestock to graze, and, and they wind up having to make a division. So they draw a circle. Lot and your folks go that way, and I'll take my folks this way. Family that is unwilling to live together. That starts very early in our religious history. And it doesn't get any better. Uh, Abraham has two sons initially, first Ishmael and then Isaac, and they're growing up as stepbrothers in the same house, uh, but the house is not large enough for stepbrothers apparently, and, and feuds develop between, uh, between mothers and dad and kids, and before you know it, Abraham's sons are not allowed to live together in the same place, and Abraham has to draw that tiny little circle while he sends Ishmael and Hagar off into the wilderness. We just tend to divide, don't we? What started with Abraham and Lot and then Isaac and Ishmael only goes on to Esau and Jacob, twins. But in spite of that bond that often twins seem to have, these two can't get along. Uh, in fact, Esau is born first and then Jacob is born grabbing at Esau's heel. Uh, a sign of what's to come. The two are never really going to get along in their childhood and their early adult life. Jacob keeps tricking Esau out of his benefits. Finally, they're at war with each other, so much so that at one point Jacob is fearful of coming around his brother for fear that Esau is ready to kill him. We draw circles and we isolate ourselves. And it seems like we pass it on because you get 
right on down to Joseph. You know, Joseph and his brothers, Joseph is, is bragging about all these dreams that he has, and then his brothers sell him into slavery, where he winds up a slave in Egypt. They just can't get along. We want to divide ourselves. Turn the pages a little bit further, and you get to Saul. Uh, King Saul, who loves David like his own son, who welcomes David into the royal palace, who enjoys David's music. It calms and quiets Saul's spirit until that day when David grows in prominence and Saul gets jealous. And King Saul sets out to kill uh, David, who had been like a son to him. You've got to draw that circle small. David continues it as well. He, he has that affair with Bathsheba. And then to try to clean up his mess, he has one of his own soldiers killed. And so we see what happened with Saul and David, repeated with David and Uriah. We wall ourselves off from one another. We draw circles that exclude everybody else. The same continued with the prophets as they endured all kind of violence. When they spoke up for God, they got, uh, they, they got attacked. We would hope in the New Testament that things would get better. You would think that after living with Jesus for a number of years, that people would have had a better approach, that people would have been more graceful with one another, and yet that's not what we really find in the New Testament. Uh, the church is formed in Acts chapter 2, but by Acts chapter 6, already the church is at odds with one another. They're already drawing circles and they're fussing. The, the first argument in the church, not surprisingly, was over food. The Jewish widows and the Gentile widows. The Gentile widows were saying they weren't getting as much food as the Jewish folks. And so they argued about food and they're isolating themselves, saying we are different from that bunch or they are being treated better than we are. We draw smaller circles. By Acts chapter 15, the church is already sharply divided. Now, this is between believers. Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are at odds with one another over what they have to do to be followers of Christ. Creates a huge crisis in the church that has to be resolved in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. But within weeks of Jesus' death and resurrection, Christian folks, people who literally walk with Jesus are drawing these little bitty circles that would exclude somebody who looks different or acts different or was born in a different nation. That same trajectory follows on into the church. We've not really done much better in the church. We, uh, we claim to be one holy, universal, and apostolic church, but our, our one holy, universal, apostolic church has broken itself up into literally thousands of denominations and independent churches. I did research this week to try to get a number. I wanted to know how many denominations there are in the world. I couldn't find a reliable number because it's so huge. Somebody gets upset with somebody and we gotta start a new church. We use the wrong amount of water in baptism or we let the wrong kind of person preach or we put the piano in the wrong place or paint the walls the wrong color and all of a sudden we've got a new church or a new denomination. We've done it so often throughout history. 
There just seems to be something about us that wants to subdivide. We want to draw those circles smaller so that I don't have to interact with anybody that doesn't look and think like me. I don't want to have to deal with people with different customs, different traditions, different languages. And so I draw that circle small enough that it's just me and mine. God, on the other hand, has a long history of drawing bigger circles. Bigger than anybody had expected. For instance, even though the book of Deuteronomy says that Moabites are bad, the book of Deuteronomy says that Moabites are not to be included among the folks of Israel, that they are to be, the, the Bible says that they are to be outcasts. But even though the Bible says that Moabites are bad, God draws a circle that includes a woman named Ruth, a Moabitess. She gets a whole book in the Bible. Ruth, the Moabitess, from Moab, from where all the bad people are supposedly, becomes the hero of this great story for us. And she becomes the, uh, she becomes the grandmother of King David and the ancestor of Jesus. This person who the Bible says isn't good enough is in the family tree of our Lord and Savior. God draws bigger circles to include her. Even though the book of Jeremiah says that people from Uz, that's U-Z, People from Uz are bad, that they should in fact be destroyed. The Bible says, Jeremiah says all kind of mean things about the people from Uz, and yet God draws a bigger circle, circle still to include a man named Job. Job from the land of Uz. Job, who God bragged on his righteousness among the heavenly council, God said, have you seen my, have you seen my man Job? Have you, have you seen how righteous he is? Oh, he can't be. Jeremiah says, Jeremiah says he's horrible. No, God draws a bigger circle that includes Job. Even though the book of Deuteronomy says that foreigners and eunuchs are not to be included in the assembly of Israel, they're also considered bad. They're outcasts. There's something wrong with them, according to Deuteronomy, even though Deuteronomy excludes foreigners and eunuchs. God draws the circle bigger again. In Acts, we see that Philip goes out following the Spirit, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, both a foreigner and a eunuch. Uh, this guy can't get in the door of the temple and in Deuteronomy. He's not welcomed in the tabernacle in Deuteronomy, but yet God draws a circle that includes him. Philip baptizes him, and he takes the gospel to a whole new continent. Foreigner. Unit. Inside God's circle. Jesus lived out the same way. You look at the people that, that Jesus called to be his disciples. You can see in his life this ever-widening circle that included more and more and some of the strangest combinations. We've talked about it before, so I won't go into it too deeply now, but a reminder. Uh, Jesus called Matthew the tax collector. Now, by being a tax collector, Matthew was a loyalist to Rome. He was literally stealing money from Jews to give to Rome, the foreign oppressor. Jesus also called Simon the Zealot. 
what a, in, in today's language, a zealot is a terrorist. Simon was plotting the violent overthrow of Rome. And Jesus called Matthew and Simon to be in the same group. You got James and John who were forever thinking they were better than everybody else, kept asking for preferment. That had to, that had to cause some divisions among the other ten that thought they were pretty good too. You've got Peter who would eventually deny him, Judas who would eventually betray him. This is the crowd that Jesus gathers at the table. He draws a circle to include polar opposites. And even when they act out, he keeps inviting them back to the table. In fact, Jesus drew circles that included women, children, Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, lepers, prostitutes. Uh, all of those shocked the religious leaders of the day. The religion of the day said, no, you can't let those people in. Jesus said, no, my circle's big enough. My circle's big enough for all of them. So we've got God who continually draws bigger and bigger circles. And people who tend to draw smaller and smaller circles. Who are we going to imitate? What's our choice? Do we choose to be imitators of a God that includes more and more, or of people who exclude more and more? Jesus tells this parable to try to nudge us in the right direction, the direction he seems to think is right. He says a farmer uh, sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the good seed. Well, nobody knew it until they all grew up, but once they grew up, it, was, it became noticeable that there were weeds in with the wheat. Well, the workers want to help out. They say, shall we go in and, and pull up the weeds? And the farmer says this strange thing, says, no. Just let them grow together. Let them grow together. We'll sort it out later. Then Jesus goes on to explain the parable, and it, it's troubling for those of us who want to have a pure idea of our religion. For those of us who might worship purity in the church, it's a troubling parable. Because Jesus says that the good seed, the good plants, are those that belong to him, that, that were sown by Jesus, the Son of Man. But that the bad seeds, the weeds, are children of the enemy. And so Jesus' command is to let them grow together. Now that'll rile some of us up. We, we get excited about the idea of weeding. We'd like to weed out the bad folks. We'd like to weed out the evil from among us. Uh, Jesus, let us fix this mess. Let us pull up all the ones that are thinking wrong and doing wrong. And Jesus says, no. Let them grow together. Because if you start uprooting people, if you start trying to attack the ones that you think anyway are evil, and who knows if we're right, if you start pulling out the ones that you think are evil, then everybody's going to get hurt. Hadn't that been the story of the church for 2,000 years? When we go to attacking evil, everybody gets hurt. 
We want to, uh, sometimes we want to hearken back to the days of the scarlet letter where we can brand those that are living evil lives. Root them out. Jesus says, no, let them, let them grow together. Draw the circle bigger. Continue to extend love and grace to everyone we can reach. And he says, you know what? I'll sort it out in the end. I would encourage us to follow the Apostle Paul's advice that in so much as it's possible for us, live at peace with all people. We don't have to figure out the answers, and we certainly do not have the right to weed out God's garden when he's telling us not to. Live together, grow together in peace. Jesus says, I'll take care of it in the end. We should be careful not to try to do God's business for God, but we should trust God to do what's best. I hope we can follow Billy Graham's counsel. Billy Graham said that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's my job to love. Let's grow together. Even if we disagree, let's grow together and live the rest of God. Will you think with me? Who, who will you include in your circle this week? Would you dare this week to draw your circle just a little bit larger? And if you will, who are you going to include? larger circle.